Eyesight is something many of us take for granted, but we're going to talk with two people who live in blindness every day and still lead protective lives. Stay with us. This is Inquire. Inquire, I'm Don Wilkins, and joining me this week are Rick Boggess and Cheryl Lott. Rick and Cheryl bring two different perspectives in regards to their blindness. Rick was born blind, and Cheryl lost her sight later in life. first heard your story at, at one of our Lions meetings, mm-hmm. and I immediately went back and told our, our health reporter, Renee Beasley-Jones, about your uh, inspirational story. And, and as I said in the intro, that so many of us uh, take our eyesight for granted. And, and so the question of what if you go through most of your life with the ability to see and then told that you were losing it, I mean, what would you do? And you actually you know, faced that situation and and talked about that. Mm-hmm. And and so just just kind of, you know, uh, tell us kind of the kind of your story and mm-hmm. and how you got, you know, you went your whole life being able to see and then all of a sudden being told you're losing your sight. So mm-hmm. just just start from the beginning. OK, um, first of all, I want to encourage anyone that um, well, you just need to take care of you, first and foremost. Um, I was a nurse um, most of my life. I practiced in Kentucky for 33 years and had taken care of diabetics all of those years, none of which I ever ran across a patient that had lost their vision because of it. Um, four years ago, I had broken a pair of glasses and went to see about getting another pair. And when we did our exam, uh, they said, there's nothing we can do for you. And so as a result of that, of course, we got um, very uh, serious about it and and began to reach out to other physicians and so on. At that point was when I was diagnosed with diabetes. Now, most of the questions I've gotten since then you know well you're a nurse didn't you know you know you know the signs and symptoms and you know thirst and fatigue and all that and I'm like no most of the time we go to the doctor when you don't feel good and I had no difference in the way I felt but by the time we got the numbers run you know the the um, blood studies and that my first question to my docs were how can you look so bad on a piece of paper and not feel that way. Um, Immediately we started very aggressively to treat the diabetes and, you know, essentially got the numbers down within the month. And um, How'd you do that? Was it through medication, diet? It was. Well, both. Um, When I I was on no medicines 
And by the time I got done going to the doctor and got home, I had 19 that I was taking in one day. Wow. So, you know, I mean, they they really loaded me up with everything they could think of. Um, and, um, and, of course, diet instructions and, and so on, you know. Um, I wasn't really a, a big Coke drinker uh, at that time, but that certainly meant, you know, you're going to cut down on the carbohydrates and, and any additional things like that, you know. Um, so certainly there was a, a great change in the diet. Um, I was referred to a uh, special physician that uh, specializes in retinal diseases, <coughs> and um, my actual disease process that was secondary to the diabetes is called uh, diabetic retinopathy. And that's where the, the uh, retina swells and it distorts your vision. And so, you know, as simple as that sounds, okay, get the swelling down and you ought to be able to see again. Well, it doesn't work like that. And it's caused where the blood vessels in the inside of the eye swell and they leak fluid or blood into the eye and you know the most serious thing is the bleeding and of course you have to treat that to get that to stop and uh, I have gone through I have lost count of the laser treatments and then also actual eye injections uh, trying to you know get this process slowed down and then I've had four surgeries uh, to kind of correct some of this and at this point and have you know, gone through all that, I still can't see. Now we'll take that back. I, I do have some peripheral vision, but I do not have uh, the ability, the center parts of the eye that you would focus, say, to see something really specific like words on a page or specific things on TV and, and those kind of things. I've lost the ability to do that. Um, all of these treatments, I, you know, I'm thinking all of this I've gone through and I, I've not improved. I've not, you know, gotten my vision back. But then I have to look at it as if, well, you were losing it. So maybe what we've done so far has saved what I have left. And so that's kind of the attitude of which I've had to um, refer to, you know, uh, a lot. Because it's, um, it's definitely a, a game changer not just for you, but your entire family. Um, it is uh, a thing that you have to learn to rely on people a lot. And that's something, you know, perhaps we don't do real well is asking for help. Um, I had at that point, um, you know, lost my uh, license to practice in Kentucky. But then after all, think about it, no one wants a blind nurse working on you. Um, so I had to give that up because I couldn't keep up with the continuing education uh, for that. Um, so I surrendered those licenses, and then, um, you know, the ability to, to play the piano. I had played the piano since I was in kindergarten, and it was a great stress reliever for me, um, and now no longer could I do that. Um, you know, so one more thing, and then it was uh, my husband and Did I. Did you have to... Yeah, use notes. Is that yeah? Okay, mm -hmm. so you, so uh, I, I'm assuming like you know Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, they just they, memorized. Yeah, or? they do. They do. Mm -hmm. And I, I was uh, raised on you play 
play the music by the note, yeah. not by what you think or what you hear or you make up, you know. Um, and uh, a part of me was sorry that, that my teachers kind of got me out of that because then it made me want to only rely on music to be able to play. Um, and that's not really the course. It's uh, you, you can go and you can play things. You just can't read the music mm -hmm. to play it anymore. So that's a different twist on, on that. At the time, my husband and I were running a uh, embroidery business, and um, we had two large commercial machines, 15-needle um, thing. You know, it was just huge, and it was um, uh, something that, that gave me great relief. It relieved a lot of my stress, and I was busy as I could be. Uh, with that, but I got to where I could no longer see to thread a needle or I couldn't see the machine as it was sewing to make sure that, you know, that it was sewing okay. Um, so we had to give that up. Um, and then, uh, you know, last but not least, which was one of the worst things, was surrendering my driver's license. And um, like I said, that was one last thing that I turned in and, you know, uh, gave up that, you know, really <coughs> infringed on my independence. Now, how old were you at whenever you were having to do all this? Okay, I was, was 60s when I, early 60s when I started with all of this. That was four years ago, and uh, I'm now 65. I'm, I'm uh, doing as well as I can. I've adjusted quite a lot, but I will tell you, it's not been an easy road. There's, um, besides the illness, besides the change in lifestyle and eating habits and those things, um, the mental health part of it is extraordinary. It's um, something that, uh, well, I, I've been through a depression that I never thought I would be through. Uh, you go through the grieving process, you know, you're angry yeah. and you're you're uh, trying to um, bargain, you know, and, and that kind of thing. Um, and then uh, you just, it's just a very deep depression. And I finally had to give in and ask for help for that. And, and it's better. There's some days that are better than others. And um, your attitude, I've found, is one of the things that can make or break it, you know, um, so you have to have a good attitude, you know, about it as well. And, and again, it's like, um, you know, these are the cards that you are dealt, so deal with it. And it's, it's you know, coming to realize that this is permanent. It's not going to be reversed. And, um, you know, it, that's the part that's the hardest, to just realize that, oh, I can't do, and, and so on. And. So I'm trying to focus on more of the things I can do than those things I can't do. And uh, things are getting a little better that way for me. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, today you didn't, you didn't bring your guide dog with you, which right. I, was, I was hoping, I was hoping we'd, we'd have uh, Pepsi. Pepsi's your yeah. dog's name yes. uh, in here with us. And, and you talk about... Uh, whenever I heard you speak, you talked about mm -hmm. the moment whenever <coughs> you were introduced yes. to your to your guide dog. Right. Talk about talk about whenever you were introduced okay. to Pepsi. This past April of this year, I was uh, chosen 
to come to the Southeastern Guide Dogs, um, which is a, a place that raises trains and so on, guide dogs. And I was able to go down and I went through three weeks of training. Um, the dog was already trained. I was the one that didn't know anything, so I had a lot of learning to do myself. But we, we worked from <coughs> 6 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock at night. And we did have Sundays off, so we were always glad to see Sundays. <laughs> but um, uh, we were told when we got there, all of us <coughs> used a cane uh, to get around. So they told us, learn your way around school the best you can today <coughs> because tomorrow you cannot use your canes. And that sounds kind of harsh, but we were put in a position where we had to rely on the dog to help us not the cane so I was personally very glad to give up my cane and um, we were told to go to our rooms and um, <coughs> there were nine of us in the class and so each of us went to our rooms um, and they just said sit in a chair we'll be there shortly so okay so we're sitting here in the room and there's a photographer that came in and she introduced herself and so then the next thing, there was uh, six ladies that were standing in the hallway, and they asked, was it okay if they stayed to watch me get my dog, you know, meet my dog for the first time? Because these were people who worked <coughs> there at the, at the uh, facility that never got to see that side of it. Um, so I said, sure, stay. I don't, I don't care. So they're all lined up in the hallway. And directly, there were uh, three instructors that came, one of which had a dog. And when Katie entered the room, she said, Cheryl, call your dog. So I said, Pepsi, come here. Well, she didn't come. And I thought, oh, she hates me already. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I thought, okay, let's do this again. So I said, Pepsi, come. And I kind of clapped my hands, and over she ran to me. She just came straight to me tail wagon and um, she sat down right in front of me and I just cupped her little face in my hands and I said you are beautiful and she is she's a yellow lab little girl she's just turned two years old and um, I told her she was beautiful and it seemed to just make her very happy because her tail was just wagging and finally I bent down and I hugged her and I said I've been waiting for you for three years mm. now at that point, everybody in the room and the hallway was just very quiet. And I thought, well, have they gone? And come to find out they were passing around the Kleenex box. And everybody had uh, a time to, you know, wipe their face off and, and regain their composure and go forward. But it's a very, very emotional time when you meet that dog for the first time. Um, after that, uh, they were very interested on how we bonded. And um, <coughs> that, that came just almost instantaneously. She uh, uh, was just a very sweet, loving, has a sweet disposition, and, um, you know, has helped me tremendously um, since I've met her. <coughs> she, um, uh, on occasion, you know, we had several uh, routes that we would have to work when we were in, in the, the uh, program. We went to Tampa and to to uh, uh, Bradenton, and then also to um, St. 
I don't know, Petersburg. Yeah, St. Petersburg. And we walked all over those places, you know, across the six-lane highway and that kind of thing with the dogs. We were walking uh, one day, and, and Pepsi just stopped. And I asked my instructor, how come she's stopping? I, I didn't tell her to stop. How come she stopped? And she said, wait a minute, and I'll show you. And about that time, a car who was leaving a parking lot that was getting ready to pull out into a street was crossing right in front of us to pull out into the street. Mm. And the dog saw it. She stopped, wouldn't let me go because I didn't know the car was coming. So essentially she kept me from getting run over, uh, you know, that time. And, and since then there's been two, three other times that she has done the same thing. Um, now she's not a guard dog, um, but we have been out on the route before and a stray dog will start barking and run at us and she will get between me and the dog to keep mm -hmm. keep the dog from getting to me. So she's very protective. Um, she's kind of a different dog when you put the harness on her because when you put a harness on, she knows she needs to work. No longer is she a pet. No longer is she just a dog. Um, and they, they told us at school just refrain from saying she's a pet because she's not. She's, um, you know, your guardian. She's your, your partner uh, and is an athlete, and that's how they look at these dogs. So there's been a great deal of training that's gone into making these dogs um, <coughs> responsible and, and let them pass their test, you know, along with us to prove that we do know how to take care of the dog and vice versa. So um, Pepsi and I walk, try to walk every day between one and three miles a day. Um, I need to walk and she needs to walk. So between us, we finally get it done. But uh, she loves to walk. She loves to, to be in that harness and to guide me around. And <clears throat> so we take her with us everywhere. So when you talk about the emotional aspect of it, how much has Pepsi helped with that emotional part of Great deal. You know, she... She's one that even though, well, I'll tell you an incident at school happened when uh, I was just trying to adjust to the fact that I had received such a blessing. And, you know, it, it was just hard to explain um, why me, why, how did I get this blessing of this <coughs> animal that was going to protect me for however long. And um, I had called my mother uh, from school, and uh, she was saying, well, now tell me how it was when you got your dog. Well, I'm still pretty raw at that point, you know, and so I said, I can't tell you exactly. Let me get my breath, and at that point, I, I was crying, and um, so finally, I got my composure enough to tell her the story about, you know, how the dog was, was brought to my room and so on, and um, so after I hung up the phone, I was sitting in the chair, and the dog was sitting in front of me um, and the tears were just strolling you know rolling down my cheeks and she came up to me and she reared up on her hind legs and she put one paw on one leg and the other paw on the other leg and she leaned up to me and she licked my face mm. and with that I thought okay we've bonded you know so um, she knows when I'm emotionally upset and she doesn't like it. She gets real <coughs> jittery and, you know, uh, 
then it's me to try to calm her down and so forth, you know. So it's, uh, she is, is more than just a guide dog. It's, it's an emotional support as well. Almost, I guess, kind of like what the veterans have with their service dogs. Absolutely. In, in okay. Now, they do train also the uh, PTSD uh, animals for the vets and so on there at the school. Not every dog that's born is guide dog material. So I'm not sure how they decide which is which, but um, certainly they divide those that they think, okay, this one will make a good guide dog and so forth. So um, they, uh, not every dog that's born there. Now they, they breed, you know, breed raise their animals there and train them from puppy on up till it's time that they're dismissed, you know, with a, a partner. So um, it's, it's quite the organization. Now, what has been the most difficult thing about losing your side? Is it not being able to, I mean, just to see nature, you know, to mm -hmm. see, you know, all that that comes, you know, with, the, you know, with, right. you know, being able to see? Well, this is where, you know, when we hear Rick's story, um, and then I look at my story, I feel like I have been blessed and he has so, you know, inspired me because I think he does, does not have the ability to see it all, and I do have a little vision. Now, you know, the other part is I, I was blessed in my early life that I was able to see those things. Um, and now I remember those things. Um, like we had to give a little talk at, at the school at graduation, and it was at that point I just told uh, the, the people that were at our graduation, you know, I have um, had the blessings in my life to be able to see the sunrise, and I've seen the sunset, I've seen the ocean, and as a nurse I had delivered five babies, you know. So in, in my eyes that was a great thing, and now I have Pepsi. And so now I'll st still see the sunrise, and I'll see the sunset, and I'll see the ocean. But it'll just be through a different pair of eyes. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, I just rely on that a lot. And, yes, when I, I get to thinking about it, I don't get to actually see that anymore. Then it gets, you know, then comes the depression. And then you begin to dwell on what I can't do and that kind <coughs> of thing. And, um I don't want to be there. I've gone through all of those emotions, and um, I'm trying to keep a positive attitude and realize that for a reason I have lost my eyesight, and um, there will be other opportunities out there. Uh, and, and one of the hardest things was, okay, I can't do the nursing. I can't do the driving of my car or playing the piano and those kinds of things. So what can I do? And, um, you know, it's it, that was one of the hardest things to try to figure out, well, there is something out there for you to do. And one thing that I have thoroughly enjoyed, one being speaking at the Lions Club, you know, to tell your story and to tell people that, um, you know, just because you feel good, don't let that be a, a trigger that you don't need to go check on things and, and you know, keep on on that. When all of this was going on with me, I was trying to uh, take care of three elderly parents, run a, a sewing business and all. So basically what I did was take care of everybody but me. And um, 
I can't say that often enough. And like I said, you know, it's it's rare that people uh, that that have diabetes, and maybe it's not so rare, but it's not something that you hear a lot <laughs> about that you've lost your vision because of diabetes, you know, um, and it happens. Um, there were two students in my class at school that had the same thing I did. One lady um, was already knew she was a diabetic, but she laid down one day to take a nap, and when she woke up, she couldn't see. Mm. There was another gentleman that was driving home from work. He stopped at a traffic light, and as we all do, we were looking around, you know, at other things around you while you're waiting for the traffic light to change. And so he glanced up at the light, thinking that, well, by now it should have changed, and he could not see the traffic light. Mm. So it's it's not something that just comes on gradually. Uh, it, it hits you, and then uh, it progresses. It does get worse. So, um, you know, I can't encourage people enough to just, you know, check on those things. Yeah, my dad uh, was a, a diabetic, and he actually had to take insulin. Mm-hmm. And so, of course... My doctor, um, you know, he started checking, you know, checking my blood. And right. and so I, I've been diagnosed with, well, they, I, I guess there's such a thing as pre-diabetes. Yes. I, I always thought that you either had it or you didn't. Right. But, um, but yeah, now you, you you talk about the medications. I'm on, I was on none and now yeah. I'm on three. Yeah. Uh, metformin being the main one, I guess. And then, right. mm-hmm. and then he uh, put me on a couple of others to kind of offset the metformin a little bit because I think right. it messes with your kidneys. And, it does. And right. so, um, and so I, you know, this the, the diabetes awareness mm-hmm. uh, is something that hopefully more people will pay attention to. And, and, and your diet, mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much it, pay, it plays such a, a role, you know, into that. And, and, and I guess genetics maybe too with anything. A lot uh, of it. But definitely diet, you know, I mean, if you're sitting around, uh, you know, drinking, you know, soft drinks and eating a lot of carbs, and mm-hmm. it, it, it will catch up with you. It eventually does. It certainly does. And mm-hmm. so uh, I've been, a, you know, kind of an advocate. And, of course, whenever I go, I wear glasses. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, my eye doctor, you know, he's always making sh- checking to make sure. sure that nothing has changed right. in, in regards to my eyesight. But, right. um so when I heard your story, you know, uh, that immediately caught my attention, mm-hmm. too. I mean, I knew, you know, losing your eyesight was a potential part of, of, of diabetes. And, sure. And, and one other thing that you said that uh, you haven't talked about mm-hmm. was the fact that diabetes causes you, you know, to lose feeling in your... And so you haven't, have you, yeah, yes. you haven't been able to, to learn Braille well, because of that. Well, that was one of the things I thought, okay, um, now I can't read it, but... Maybe I can learn Braille. And I have taken a couple of classes and, and have learned a great deal about the Braille, but the diabetes, as it is, um, you know, you lose the <coughs> sensation, the feeling in your, usually in your um, fingers and also in your feet, in your toes. Um, but um, with that, I couldn't read, I couldn't feel the bumps, if you will, the Braille yeah. under my fingers, so I couldn't tell you. You know, now if I had maybe, uh, you know, a letter or something like that, then I could eventually figure out what letter that is. But you put that in a sentence, I can't tell you what it is. I can't feel it. So, um, you know, and, and it's not also that, Don, that uh, 
also the uh, diabetes is it, it's a wicked disease. Um, besides that, you have a lot of uh, neuropathies and you know a lot of pain usually in your legs, feet um, that you end up having to take uh, medication for, and a lot of that's caused from a decrease in the circulation to those <coughs> extremities. But the other thing is, if it's doing that to those vessels or the vessels in your eyes, then it's also doing the vessels that supply blood to your heart, that supply blood to your kidneys. Uh, all the organs within your body re rely on good circulation. So you, you do something, you know, to um, disrupt that, then it affects your entire body. And I'm beginning to have issues with uh, with my blood, and then also with my kidneys. <coughs> so it's uh, you know it's a challenge, just a challenge. The one of the last things I guess maybe the last thing I, I want to talk about with you both mm -hmm. is your is your support group that you guys have. Um, now, Rick, where did it's called Savvy, right? Yes, mm -hmm. uh, Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired. Some years ago, there was a support group that met that was supported and guided by the local counselor from the what was then called the Kentucky Office for the Blind. We were talking and and, and actually dis as we talked we were thinking that it would be nice if that group would be revived or that there was a group because I knew from my experience although I work with with kids most visual impairment is, actually occurs in older adults who lose their vision. So we started floating the idea of starting a local support group. And so we began to meet in, I think it was 2012. And eventually we got a group of people together. And, and we had our first meeting a year or so, I think it was 2013, uh, first organized meeting that we publicized and so on. And at the end of that meeting, I said, well, we'll, we'll see how, you know, what your feeling, feelings are about today, and we'll meet again in a few months. And everybody said, what? A few months? I thought we'd meet next month. <laughs> and so we started meeting every month, and we've met every month since then. And at, uh, subsequently, we, uh, we registered with the Kentucky Secretary of State and paid the necessary fees to, you know, to be uh, a recognized entity there. In 2016, I think it was, we secured our 501c3 status, and so we meet monthly. Uh, we have speakers. Um, uh, this coming Tuesday, we're actually going to have a Christmas party, um, Christmas dinner. Uh, we have speakers. We have a few workshops that are more topic-driven, like on using the uh, reading books, you know, strategies for reading books, like using different equipment to read books. How many members do you have right now? About 27 members. And are, how, I mean, as far as the, the blindness, that are many of them uh, become blind later in life, or, or did were they uh, some of them born blind? Or? Well, there are a few of us who are born blind, but I would guess, I, I haven't actually worked the numbers, but I would guess that 60, 70, 80 percent are people who've lost vision later in life. Mainly, uh, not the only reasons, but probably two of the leading causes are macular degeneration and diabetes. Hmm. I said we have 27 members, but um, I went back and looked at numbers because, you know, we get calls also. And I'm aware of probably at least double that many uh, visually impaired people in this area based on 
just the calls we have received. And so, as I say, we meet, we have workshops, we bowl uh, on a regular basis and have a lot of fun, do a lot of laughing at ourselves. Uh, last summer we went uh, fishing um, one day. We, so we do a, uh, organi try to organize a variety of activities. If someone wanted to uh, get in touch with you guys, you know, maybe even to, to join or start attending to attending your meetings, how would they go about that? Do you have a phone number? Do you have a website? We, we have a phone number, uh, 270-684-4418. A website, uh, www.kentucky, spelled out, kentucky-acb.org slash Owensboro. As I say, we are in a, a chapter of the Kentucky Council of the Blind, and so um, they have a lot of activities, and there are several chapters around the state, and so you could also uh, look on the Kentucky Council of the Blind uh, website, which is www.kentucky-acb.org, or you could actually learn about what's going on nationally, because since this is going to be a podcast, it's available really worldwide, uh, www.acb.org would uh, give you information of what's going on with the American Council of the Blind. And, and Cheryl, are, are you the president now? I have just been elected president, so I will start my reign, if you will, the, in January. Um, we're looking very forward to a busy year. We've got several activities uh, planned out, uh, fundraisers that we're working on, and uh, I'm going to rely on Rick a lot because he's, he's just a great source of information, if you will, and, and has guided this group since it was started. So uh, uh, we're, like I said, we're, we're meeting once a month. We would invite anyone out there that uh, thinks that they might want to come and see what it's about. It's, it's a, a group that is, uh, we don't want to know everybody's business, but you know, we're, we're there to support you and give you a hug when you need one and uh, learn new things. We have, we have a great time. And uh, I will say Pepsi is a member of the group as well. And uh, so, you know, it's just, it's, it's just a, a great support. So I, I would hope that anyone that not only themselves but has someone in the family that is having some vision issues, now's the time to begin to... Uh, get some things put together. They may not be totally blind or or uh, dependent on others at this point, but it's probably coming. So you need to be proactive in this and let us help you, you know, guide you and, and help give you a little bit of information. Uh, it's easier to talk to people th that have been there, done that kind of thing, and they can give you great advice. This worked for me or this didn't work for me kind of advice. So, um, but we're, we're friends, and we uh, enjoy and look, look forward every month to getting together. And where do you get together? We meet right now over at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church. They were gracious enough to give us a place to meet. So um, now we're not affiliated with the church. We're separate from them, but we do meet there. So, um, and like I said, the uh, second Tuesday of every month, and we usually meet from 1 to 3. And then on Fridays, uh, we have different uh, little workshops. It may be 
ceramics, it may be leather crafting, um, those kinds of things. And we try to, to do things that people in the group are interested in, but would otherwise never have the opportunity to do. So, and those are mainly in the spring and fall, right? Um, and the workshops, and, mm -hmm. and they're not every Friday. They're well, it varies, but usually the every well, other Friday. Every other Friday. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, people would you know who might be interested in that would need to check because we don't. And they're also from ten to twelve. Now, I would say, and Cheryl kind of alluded to this, is to say most of our meetings are from one to three, except when there's food involved. <laughs> <laughs> and so, for example, this coming Tuesday. Uh, we're having a dinner, and I mean, we're going to have the whole, we're going to have ham and chicken and and uh, potato salad and green beans, and I don't know. We're going to have a nice meal, mm -hmm. and uh, and that, that will be from 12 to 2.30. So if there's food involved, we don't want people to wait till 1 o'clock. That's right, so, 12. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so it can vary from time to time, mm -hmm. and like we, we have, a, as I say, um, but usually those things, and then and our bowling is usually once a month. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a mini grant from the hospital uh, that helps us uh, underwrite the cost of that, and so we bowl once a month. And as I say, we I don't know that we're such good bowlers, but we sure do have a good time laughing at ourselves. That's In fact, right. I tell people. I thought we were golfing. I thought you went for the low <laughs> score. So anyway, I'm still trying to figure that out, and they're trying to teach me that. But anyway, mm -hmm. so but we have a lot of fun. And he told everybody he caught a whale when we went fishing. So, you know, the stories vary. So <laughs> we have a good time. Well, I, I certainly appreciate uh, you, Rick, and, and Cheryl, for coming in and sharing your stories. And, um, you know, if anybody who hasn't had a chance to, to meet Rick Boggess, he's, he's definitely uh, just a joy to be around. And, 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 and you're an inspiration, Rick, and, and I love you to death. And, 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 and just thanks for all, all you do, you know, uh, you know, for the folks who are battling with their eyesight and trying to cope with that. And that will wrap up our show for this week. I want to thank Rick Bogus and Cheryl Lott for joining me. To send us questions or provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquire's website, its mobile app, and Stitcher, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day for Inquire.